This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hi guys, welcome to a new series by the Kenyan Wall Street and AI Care on Insurance. My name is Ali Mokaneno Gakweli. I'll be your co-host for the show. So with me on this show, I have Arthur Mulwa, who is the CEO of AI Care. I'm sure you've interacted with AI Care in our previous episodes on telematics and how AI Care is revolutionizing the motor insurance sector in Kenya. We also have on the call um, Seth and Samantha from Zamara. And today we will be talking about P2P insurance in Kenya. So welcome to the show, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. So um, right on. Both you guys, um, Seth, Samantha and Arthur being experts in the insurance space. I want to get your perspectives on P2P insurance in Kenya. What insurance lines do you think can most benefit from a P2P insurance model in Kenya? Maybe I can begin. Thank you very much, uh, Ali, and uh, a pleasure to be here. My name is Seth, as you've heard, from Zamara, and I'm an actuary, but uh, I've participated in very many operational aspects of insurance in this country. So what insurance lines can benefit from P2P? I mean, basically, before we even talk about the insurance lines, uh, it would be maybe benefit the listeners uh, to talk broadly about uh, the P2P model and uh, probably how it's different from your traditional model and then how different, um, you know, how can it really impact the, the Kenyan space? So without maybe going into too much depth, um, there's two or three main models when you're doing business across different spaces. You'd have your kind of business to business model um, where one business sells to another. Then you'd have kind of business to consumer models, which is basically what we see in most of the financial institutions across the world. Yeah? So you'd have your you know, British Arms, Jubilee and any other insurance company in the space selling products to a consumer. So that's a B2C model. But a peer-to-peer model is a case where the people on this call sit together and think through, you know, how can we pull our resources and basically insure ourselves against certain risks, some of which could already be insured and in most cases, some of which may not really be available in the market. So that's kind of your P2P model. On to your question in terms of, you know, what classes of insurance do we think would benefit the most? In my experience, and I know I have other experts on the call as well, the P2P model works best when you use it in classes of insurance that are social in nature. So if you're listening to this in Kenya, um, very often you get invited to a WhatsApp group to contribute for a certain loss. You get invited to certain events to contribute in the event of something. Now, those kind of events and those kind of insurable events tend to lend themselves very well to the P2P model. So in short, if you think through life covers, uh, funeral covers, models when people are, you know, contributing to send people abroad. If you think through medical models where you're contributing because of an emergency that you hadn't seen, those kind of lines of insurance lend themselves very well. But we've also seen a shift where, you know, your traditional models, uh, some of the people believe they can control their risks better than most of the people in the company they buy the insurance from. And those kind of people would be very keen to set up their own unique standalone kind of P2P pool. 
uh, where they can actually benefit from improved behavior. So, I mean, the space is as wide as the traditional areas of, or classes of insurance, but could even be wider depending on uh, the direction that each uh, jurisdiction country uh, wants to take it. So I've just started the conversation, but uh, any of my panelists can continue as well. Um, now that Steph has talked about the different sort of models that can benefit from P2P insurance, such as education and, you know, funerals and such activities, you realize that these are things that most of people, especially in the Kenyan traditional society, contributes toward. Why do you think, or rather, where do you think we are in adoption of P2P models in these sectors? I think for that, I'd have to pass it back to Seth as they've been pushing that. But for the prior question, I just thought like I'd add um, some of the other classes that I've seen that uh, would benefit a lot from P2P insurance. Um, I know we talked a lot about motor in our previous series, and I'd add that's something where if you're able to cluster, you know, good drivers, for example, you could, you know, put them together and get them to have a risk pool just for good drivers. And that would benefit them knowing that they don't have to carry the baggage of the poor drivers in the general pools that come from other insurers. And same thing with things like home and contents insurance. Those would also benefit a lot from that if you're able to cluster them properly, given the example of companies such as Lemonade in the US that's really succeeded in that. But for the question on how it can work in Kenya, and I think I just pass that back to Seth. Sure. Arthur, actually, I'd like to make a quick comment on what you've just said before I move on to the question. Yeah. So Arthur, I agree with you 100%. Yeah? And as I mentioned, you know, in traditional insurance, even like motor, I personally have owned one vehicle for the last nine years and I've never had any accident. And yet I have to pay, you know, the standard rates over an extended period of time. Yeah, um, What P2P, the conversation we are starting, just like Arthur said, is why don't we motivate for a change in behavior so that good drivers can actually, you know, self-insure or get into a pool of other good drivers and basically be able to benefit directly, transparently from the change in behavior. And it lends itself very well to the motor pool as well as others. But I guess we'll be chipping on that, you know, incrementally as we continue the conversation. So where are we in Kenya? I think before being too harsh on the Kenyan space, yeah, just allow me to step out and talk about the wider global space. And we'll be talking more about it as we proceed. But I think globally, there is a push, yeah, towards digitization and, you know, maximizing on some of the platforms uh, to bring people and risks together, right? And that's not only in insurance, that's in banking, that's not only in financial services, it's across the board. I mean, we can talk about very many examples as we go along, including the likes of your Uber, your Airbnb, and so on and so forth. Yeah, but it's a new wave, yeah? And it's riding off the back of digitization. We have increased computing power. We have increased trust and awareness in terms of what platforms can do. Increasingly, we are seeing a shift from your traditional models to more system-driven models, as has been discussed both in this podcast and previous ones and in some of the podcasts to come. Okay, Now, coming specifically to P2P, yeah, this is a new way of doing things. And I say new lightly because initially, this is how insurance used to be done in these countries. So social insurance, if someone in my village unfortunately passes away, you know, just a couple of phone calls, bring people together. And in a way, you self-insure against this particular uh, risk or you insure each other. Yeah. 
then we went into you know for equity transparency and all that we went into a b2c model where insurance companies were able to structure standard product that could be sold equitably fairly transparently to the masses but now we're getting into a phase where people are starting to challenge you know how much visibility is there in the costing of my policy right and for me insurance is about claims when the claim comes through how quickly can this particular claim be processed and more importantly how can i benefit from better than average claims experience and so on and so forth yeah now that has led to a drive here locally in the region and indeed globally yeah because most of the partners we work with now are global partners to move from your traditional model uh, and i wouldn't say move yeah but to increase the scope of your traditional model by going into p2p so in kenya where are we in kenya i think on the platform digitization or digital space uh, we have the skill set we have the platforms that can support p2p but we are still behind the curve in terms of fully implementing what a p2p model would look like that said uh, i'll give two or three examples of simplified p2p models that the listener could have already seen or interacted with in the recent past so for example i wouldn't go as far as to say that i'm a tackleful expert but you know the tackleful model borrows heavily from a p2p model basically where you have a fund and you have people you know buying policies from this fund and ideally you know policy holders would get exposed to a profitable or a good experience here that would be distributed to policy holders having considered all expenses yeah so you know in a way the tackleful model is an extension to your p2p but it doesn't match one for one a different type of insurance that i've also seen work in this particular side of the world is you know your funded approach when you look at your medical insurance covers where a company decides look buying medical insurance for all my 1000 employees from an insurance company is too costly right how can i structure this so that i can actually control the spend i can make sure the quality of service is good and basically improve the general healthcare of my employees so we have seen funded medical schemes where companies basically contribute into some segregated fund and all the medical expenses actually live from that fund to cover the expenses of their employees so that in a way is a simplified it's not really your p2p but it's a case where um the company does not go through the traditional model of going to an insurance company to buy readily available insurance models it has a whole concept of contributing into a fund and monitoring the spend hopefully changing the behavior of employees and the employer to hopefully to improve the healthcare of those particular institutions in those examples i've given uh, insurance companies tend to still to be involved because they better understand how that model works they are the better administrators of that model but as you know digitization evolves what we see happening is you know getting onto a call like this we all discuss maybe we are all golfers or we all you know like certain you know random activity we can all come together and say guys you know what happens if it snows or you know if it floods tomorrow and we are not able to play golf yeah can we insure ourselves against such you know random events so over time we're going to see a move from the structured traditional financial service institutions and uh, p2p insurance will be a way to start engaging the society in terms of self protecting and self insuring yeah so i've started that conversation any of my panelists can also chip in as well yeah? thank you very much thanks ali for having us here in the session just to add up to a, a couple of points that seth has raised in terms of the digitization angle i think as kenya we're uniquely positioned in that our mobile penetration rates are very high 
So the fact that you'll go to the village, the other day I was registering a lot of the workers at home in Shags for a digital solution. And actually every single one of them had a phone up until the age of like 70 for me to be able to do so. So we have very high levels of mobile penetration right up until the sticks of our country. So I think that's one thing that positions us highly to kind of grow um, these kind of digital solutions, as long as we're ready to pivot in terms of what a digital solution looks like. Another thing I think that adds great value in terms of the peer-to-peer solution is transparency. I think as a people, as a nation, there's a hunger for transparency in a lot of things. And having insurance that is transparent so that you can understand from the time I take a policy to when I submit a claim, where that claim is reaching in the different stages. I think transparency and visibility of your own data is a big thing that, you know, a big value add that comes out of being able to do peer-to-peer insurance. You know, some of the core things that I think make it opportune to leverage a time as such as this in Kenya. Um, And then when we're looking at some of the great success stories in terms of peer-to-peer insurance, um, French Insurance actually is a company that started in Germany in like 2010. And they call themselves like the great pioneers of peer-to-peer insurance and everyone else was just a copycat. Um, Although arguably the origins of insurance were peer-to-peer. And they started with things like household items, legal insurance, and then moved into car insurance and then even more recently moved into like bike insurance. I think because we have such a social way of operating, as you know, Seth has mentioned in all his various descriptions, we have a very social way of operating. It's just putting formal structures to those social dynamics that we've already put in place and that already are part of who we are. And again, we have the mobile reach to be able to expand that. So the opportunities are endless as long as we listen to what are people's greatest needs and what are the market's greatest needs? As long as we're putting people at the center, understanding what risks are people very hungry to be protected from. Whether it's, you know, your farmers who make up a big proportion of the workforce and contribute to, you know, just under a third of our GDP. Or whether you're looking at certain professional groups from, you know, your doctors. I mean, when you look at the situation we've had in last year with doctors not being able to get their necessary healthcare, I mean, there's ways for us to gather as community and help ourselves um, as in a community way because it's what we already do. It's just how can we be more efficient about it and more proactive about it as opposed to meeting it at the point of need, meet it before that, yeah? So you're already prepared for that point of need. So yeah, I think that's what I would add. Now that you guys have talked about the fact that P2P insurance in Kenya would be more making a system that's already pre-existing more efficient. I'm curious about how tech and digitization is going to drive that. And perhaps maybe Arthur, you can chime in later in the discussion. Meanwhile, let's talk about the pre-existing P2P platforms globally. Arthur, you mentioned Lemonade, which is probably one of the successful peer-to-peer models globally. What do you think are other examples in that space and what was key to the success of implementing peer-to-peer models, you know, in Lemonade and in companies like Friendsurance? 
think I can give a bit of an overview on Lemonade and then Samantha can take us through some of the other examples. I think for Lemonade, one of the key things for them was instilling trust. So by giving away the excess money in the risk pool to a charity, for example, you know, it lends trust towards the insurer such that people are willing to work with a company more, take insurance from them more because they know that in that risk pool, any excess is going to a charity. So this company would not be cheating us out of the premium, which is, I think, something that a lot of insurers feel right now. They feel that they overpay on premiums. Um, so that aspect of it, behavior-wise, has been a key part. And they've also employed quite a lot of behavioral economics techniques just to make sure that their customers are pleased. And I know Samantha mentioned something about putting customers at the center, which is crucial. So getting that level of trust, which is something insurers have lost and bringing it back has been very key towards uh, Lemonade's success. Uh, maybe Samantha could add to that. Thank you very much, Arthur. I'm a big fan of Lemonade as well. I've been following their story over the years. So yeah, I mean, for insurance, it's the same story. I think the element of the greatest pull that insurance had on the onset was the fact that they were rewarding good behavior or like, you know, good like claims experience, basically. So people felt they weren't just paying premiums in vain. You know, if you don't claim, there's actually a reward for not claiming. And so that was the big thing that they came into the market with, which was very disruptive and, you know, inspired a lot of transition into that area as well. But yeah, I think also the digital aspect for both Lemonade and for insurance was a big thing because just your efficiency and how you can mobilize things and how quickly you can pay claims and just how transparent you can be helped shift that conversation a lot. And that was a big component of how they were able to strengthen trust. I mean, definitely, definitely. Well, on the other extreme end of things, we've had players that didn't quite get to stay in the market all along. What are some of the examples of failed peer-to-peer -peer insurance models and why do you think they might have failed? Okay, maybe I can begin uh, with that here. Yeah? So Seth here, yeah? by its very definition, yeah, a peer-to-peer -peer model basically means that I insure you and you insure me and typically how they're structured. So your um, you know, generic model would be, you know, get a pot, get a couple of people and put money in a given pot. Yeah? And if an insurable event happens, then you'll remove money from that pot. And hopefully, ideally, you'll price it such that there would be some cash at the end of the period that will be distributed to all the members of the pot. Now, the reverse of that is also true because in a difficult year, what happens is the pot gets finished, right? So we all put money into a pot. All the members on this call put money into a pot. For whatever reason or you know there's an earthquake or you know something you know corona or whatever it is that you guys decide to ensure uh, there's an event that happens worse than expected year happens and money in the pot actually gets finished now that's a very difficult discussion to have with members yeah so let me give an example of the kind of thing that typically would happen out there so if you look at some global models for example your pni clubs in the uk where you know owners of ships and all that come together put money together and you have a funded model they are very aware that there is a risk that that pot could run dry and in the event it runs dry they're very clear that it could trigger additional activities including additional contributions by all the members 
But when you come to a social setting, say we are in Kenya, you've contributed for your motor insurance, um, for whatever reason, the port runs dry, you know, how many Kenyans will be ready to go into their pocket media and contribute again into this port in that unlikely event, okay? So what we've seen is certain social kind of, depending on how you pitch this kind of message to the masses, yeah, it could get a lot of backlash in terms of, you know, you are contributing and you may not be covered. You know, this is not total insurance and so on and so forth. So one big push, one big thing that I've seen that kind of slows down the pace of, you know, the P2P model, especially to in the retail social space, is the fact that the port could run dry. Yeah, we'll talk later about some of the safety measures that we put around there. Another big deterrent as well that we've seen is regulation. Correct. So in this country, it doesn't really matter how much money I have. I can't insure myself for third party insurance. It's regulated. It's in the law that I must go out and look for an insurance regulated registered entity to buy this particular insurance cover form. Uh, the same for Weber. Yeah. If I, I have employees who need a certain insurance cover, I must go out to a regulated entity to actually buy this insurance. So you find yourself in a very interesting space where you could have a solution, but it's written in the law that you can't actually offer this particular type of cover through a P2P model, and at least not directly or at the onset. So we have regulatory pushbacks. We've had social pushbacks in different countries and different contexts, but we are aware of this and we are very clear about how to at least mitigate some of these factors, uh, even as we move forward with this agenda in Kenya and within the region. Uh, my colleagues can add in on the same as well. Yeah. That was very comprehensive. I don't think I can add on to that. Uh, maybe Samantha can add to that. No, I think that's great. Back to the discussion then. What do you think it will take to get reinsurance, especially in Kenya, to reinsure risks coming from peer-to-peer risk pools? I'd really love to hear your opinion on that, Seth. Uh, thanks, Ali. And uh... As Alia mentioned in the discussion, yeah, the very nature of a peer-to-peer model is the contributors in its purest form. The contributors are the risk takers, correct? So that means in a good year, we will share the spoils and in a difficult year, we would all have to chip in or some of us would have to forego their claims. Now, that's a tough message to pass on, especially where you're insuring regulated risks which are mandatory. For example, third-party insurance, that is mandatory. You can't hit someone on the road and then tell them, look, I'm sorry, my pot ran dry. I can't pay for you, right? So there is a need on certain unique products that are offered through the P2P model. There is a need to have a regulated entity that has capital to absorb extreme events. So in the event that the pool runs dry, then you need an entity that's regulated to absorb that particular shock, especially for regulated products, okay? So I've mentioned a few, your Webers, um, your third-party insurance in motor, amongst others, yeah? Your fire insurance and all that. Now, for that to happen, yeah, then which regulated entities are we talking about, yeah? So in a way, a normal insurance company can still play the role of a reinsurer because they would take residual risk Uh, depending on how you structure your reinsurance contract or your reinsurance arrangement. However, some of the risks are so large, yeah, that your typical insurer would not be able to absorb by themselves. So 
in my view some of the things we want to motivate for would be regardless of whether it would be an underwriter or a reinsurer yeah if we structure the product such that a reinsurer with capital can actually reinsure pots of very high risk elements then reinsurers can really participate and drive this particular initiative for example it would be or around east africa right um we could argue that we are very careful in terms of how we construct our buildings we're very careful in terms of risk management and how we handle operations in our buildings and we could argue that our risks are so low that the off the shelf products in this space is too costly for us yeah so we could come together and put instead of paying our premiums you could have a funded arrangement now bear in mind that if one of those buildings went down yeah the whole pot could be wiped out in one go yeah yes it could be one event every 20 years one event every 10 years but if an event happens there's a good chance that the whole pot would be wiped away and that is where reinsurers come in yeah so reinsurers would be the residual carriers of the risk and would say look in good years give us x percent of your money and we'll just build up capacity for you guys so that in a difficult year should your pot get wiped out yeah we can actually come in to play so i've given you one example where you talk about few large risks where a uh, few claims happen but they're very large in nature but equally i think reinsurers can also play a part in going into the retail space and even the mass market correct so in the event that you have an accumulation of events for example covid is a critical example yeah where very many people could be exposed at one particular go uh, earthquakes are another example where you could have 100 1000 people in a pot but all the 1000 people are affected in one go yeah so cut type of events yeah that are difficult to foresee and happen once in a lifetime kind of thing then reinsurers also have the balance sheet and they have the capacity to absorb this kind of shocks so i see reinsurers as a key partner here not only insurers but basically risk takers your underwriters and eventually your reinsurers as a key partner in this particular model more so for large risks and also for regulated kind of risks yeah yes but i'll hand over to some of my panelists in case i missed out on any no i think what you've said you've covered it comprehensively arthur I think that was a comprehensive answer. All right. Well, as we approach the end of the podcast, I'd really love to get um your opinion Arthur on how we can leverage on technology to drive peer-to-peer models in Kenya, especially given the fact that we are one of those countries that have really high mobile penetration in Africa. Yeah, as mentioned in several previous answers, Uh, a big chunk of getting success in the P2P model is creating simplicity so that people are able to access their claims fast enough so that people are able to you know trust the whole system so right now with the high mobile penetration rates um we'd be able to very quickly reach all corners one of the very interesting things and I think it was mentioned earlier about uh, Kenya and how we operate is whenever anything happens to one of our group a small whatsapp group is formed and people contribute to that so we already have those social aspects we've seen companies like safaricom put out crowdfunding platforms like the mchanga so we already have that use of technology for putting tools together so the next step above that would now be finding ways of organizing those tools 
to allow them to collect the funds and then have an organized way of managing the premium payments that have been put there. Because currently when you look at uh, many charmers that exist, one of their biggest headaches is just around management of the pooled funds. So if you have an organized structure around that, and we've seen already a lot of fintechs coming out as well that help on the investment end, then you can really grow adoption for this kind of model. In motor as well, and again, we spoke about telematics a lot, I'll just add on this. If you're able to differentiate who the good and the bad drivers are definitively through things like telematics or maybe even other systems that exist, again, you're able to very quickly put a pool together. So that's technology working for you. If you're looking at things like fire and you have smoke detectors or cameras that are all linked for particular buildings, again, you can have a very easy risk pool there by being able to show through technology you know, the kind of risks that the pooled organizations face. So I think technology does have a very large part to play and being able to very accurately measure risk in real time allows for easier creation of pools and easier management of those pools. Maybe Samantha, if you also have a word on this, it would be useful. Yeah, I think just to add to that in terms of easier management is just even easier management of fraud. I think fraudulent claims are a very big problem in the insurance industry in Kenya. So even when we're thinking about the value add, not just from the customer's point of view who gets quicker claims paid, you know, and gets more visibility and more transparency from the insurer's point, like from the underwriter's point of view, or even going back to Seth's conversation around reinsurers, helping manage, you know, fraudulent claims is key. You know, you decrease the level of fraud the faster your processes are because the longer people have time to process a claim, the more the loopholes and the gaps in that process that can lead to certain inflation. So I think it will just even drive down the cost of insurance overall. And once you can tackle fraudulent claims, you can even further decrease the cost of your premiums in the longer term. So I think that is something else worth considering in terms of general cost of insurance, um, just because you're able to just tackle fraud more efficiently. Thank you so much for sharing on that, Arthur and Samantha. That will be the end of this discussion. Um, to our panelists, Arthur, Samantha, and Seth, thank you so much for contributing to this discussion. To our listeners, this is the first of our many podcasts with experts on insurance, just to demystify what is happening in the insurance space and to catch up on some of the revolutionary products in that space like telematics through AI care. Thank you so much for joining us on this podcast show. See you in the next one.